My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody listening. For Valentine's Day, I have a present for everyone listening. It's not a box of chocolates, it's not flowers, and it's not a romantic meal for two, unfortunately. What I do have, however, is an interview with the creator of the most lovable and most charming adventure game protagonist of all time, I'm sure everyone would agree. I am, of course, talking about Al Lowe, who was the creator of Larry Laffer in Leisure Suit Larry. Al Lowe was very kind to agree to speak to me, and in this interview he has some fascinating anecdotes about his early days at Sierra, how E.T. the video game would change his life and his career, and plenty of other stories as well. He talks about Leisure Suit Larry, of course, with some really, really funny stories and interesting stories about how poor sales initially would go on to help Aulo and uh, the game in the future. So uh, now we had one hour to speak, So, um, but what an hour it was with so many, many great stories from Al. He's a wonderful guest as well, so... Uh, here is, first of all, the team tune for Leaders with Larry 1, followed by my interview with Al Lowe, so please enjoy. You've reached Al's answering machine. Please leave a message. And I'll... wait a minute—is this live? <laughs> I I believe so. Do you do you see that red button at the top left? <laughs> hey, is that us? And hey, we're actually talking now, huh? Yeah. So that's uh, that's usually means that we're recording. So okay. remember that that I, I have the final edit. So if you yeah, uh... <laughs> well, as long as you you can record as long as you don't let anybody else hear it. I'll I'll do what I'll do what I can. I mean, I don't know how many people exactly listen to the podcast. It, it could be just myself, oh, yourself, oh, so, and so you're saying your podcast is so popular that you're the only one that hears it. Pro- probably when I edit. So. <laughs> so now I think about five people. I think uh, two of them are probably called Steve. There's a Keith there somewhere. So. Okay. No. Well, it was nice talking to you. Yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, there's a few more. I was at conferences and people have told me that they have listened to the podcast and some even told me that they enjoyed it, which kind of, you know, surprised me. So there'll be, you know, a couple more than five, I think. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we can uh, get started then. So well, I already uh, did start. It's too oh. late for that. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, so, we, yeah, we should probably just start then. So that voice that you heard is the legendary, some would say, Al Lowe. So, hello, hello. How are you today? <laughs> well, I'm much better than I was this week. I got a, a, my winter cold, and uh, so my voice is still a little um, uh, husky, I guess. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, I feel fine. I'm doing well. And, uh, you know, I mean, re you got to remember, I'm really old. So <laughs> no matter how well I say I'm doing, uh, I'm still not very good. I know, but I, I think that, you know, people like you will you know, seem like you never get old. That yeah. you always see, seem <laughs> young to, to us. Wife, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you always seem like young to us. So. <laughs> but, so, I mean, you say you have a husky voice. Other people might say you have a sexy voice now. So. <laughs> oh, well. You never know, Gosh. people listening. So I didn't, um, know, I didn't know it was this kind of show. <laughs> Me neither, but apparently so. <laughs> don't, don't know how how Larry would uh, would think of this kind of podcast, but. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, for joining me. It really is an honor to to speak to you. I've played, of course, the Leisure Suit Larry games, and uh, you know, big fan of them, of course. And although I'm guessing that most people who are listening to this podcast probably played the Leisure Suit Larry games when they were too young to play the Leisure Suit Larry games, but in my case, I started playing these games shall we say, when I began to empathize with Larry <laughs> and maybe look a little bit like him. So I was quite a bit older, I think, than most people listening when they first played Larry. I'm sorry <laughs> to hear that. So, oh, don't worry. You know, I, I kind of was like, oh, look, at least he was successful in the end. So, you know, there's, there's hope for us all. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I'm sure most people listening know who you are. But um, now... I'm guessing that you might have heard some of these questions before, but just for some of the people who maybe don't know the full story about you. Uh, now, you worked for Sierra, but I was wondering if you could tell us, what did you do before you worked for Sierra? Well, I, uh, gosh, let's see. My, <laughs> my, my full history was... Um, <laughs> I uh, I was always interested in music, and I was always kind of geeky. I was the kid in uh, high school. I was the kid in grade school who would fix the movie projector in the classroom. Uh, I, I was the kid in high school who uh, uh, built his own speaker systems. And uh, I was the guy who soldered microphone cables when they went bad. So I always had this kind of geek background. Um, I never... I, I didn't know what computers were or what they did, but when I found out that an Apple II came out and it was possible to own one, I thought I should probably get one. So I, at the time, I was teaching music and coordinating music for a, a large school district. And I, con I convinced my wife that we should spend uh, uh, over a month of our combined salaries to buy this machine that I swore I would make it pay for itself somehow. Um, and it did, actually, now that I think about it, I guess we did. So 
So it turned out to be a good idea. But, um, uh, you know, I taught myself to program. I had uh, uh, a job that I needed done uh, and the school district wouldn't program it for me. And I thought I should do this myself. And they gave me a a book on basic and a um, I'm sorry, they gave me the manual on uh, basic and account and a password. And I took it from there, along with some help from some friends and reading a lot of books and a lot of magazine articles, um, taught myself to program and uh, ended up going to a um, conference that ended just as another conference began. And the second conference was uh, uh, computers um, in in education. Well, I was in education. Uh, and uh, I, I had been using a computer in my field. And I thought, well, maybe I should hang around and see what's going on at this conference. And it literally was, I walked out of the other the music conference, and they were taking down the signage for the music conference and putting up signs for the National Educational Computing Conference. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll hang around here and see what that's like. And it, in fact, changed my, my whole life because... Um, uh, I, I saw the kind of software that was out there, and I, I had been writing software at the time, and I thought, well, hell, I could do better than this. And so I went home and bought the first graphics package that was ever released for the Apple II and uh, uh, wrote some simple games um, and took them to an educational conference at a local high school. Um, and uh, they uh, became quite successful and uh, uh, my wife and I ended up uh, uh, forming a company in our uh, kitchen table and selling those games, which eventually then were seen by Ken Williams at Sierra, uh, and um, uh, he offered to buy the company and the products, and uh, uh, and I guess as they say, the rest was history. Well, so there seems to be a you know series of good decisions along the way. <laughs> that well, you, bought, you know, uh, a lot of this computer and <laughs> took around of, for the conference. So a lot of life is um, being in the right place at the right time. You know, sure, absolutely, because you just happened to be at that conference, and then you stuck around. You could have gone home early, but you stuck around, and then you saw oh, I can do better. You formed a company, so really it was. Going back to when you bought the computer, that's re- really where it seems to have started. Yeah, that's... but, you know, how much of that would I have done had I not spent my life, uh, you know, a, a, a soldering uh, amplifier kits and uh, uh, building tuners and doing all those other things that kind of led me to think, oh, yeah, this is just going to be like the, that other stuff I've done. I won't have any trouble with this. I can figure it out. <laughs> Um, and, and also, there was another. There's another weird thing is that I was um, uh, 15 years into my career as an educator. Well, at that particular time, the maybe still to the day, today, the um, uh, salary schedule uh, was this spreadsheet that that had columns for the number of year of units of education you had and the number of years of experience you had. Well, I had all the education that they would recognize, and I had all the years they would recognize, which meant I was in the lower right-hand corner of the spreadsheet with the maximum salary that I could make, uh, and I still had 20 years left before I retired. <laughs> 
And so I was like, wait, I'm going to go the next 20 years without getting a raise? Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, the, that weighed on my brain as well because it was like, gosh, this looks like the future. This this looks like something that's going to take off and, 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 and be the future. And do I want to stay around here and do the same thing for 20 more years at the same salary? Or do I want to take a risk and... Uh, plus, uh, another significant factor was that my wife was also a teacher, and we lived a fairly conservative life. We tried to live off of one salary and put the other away, um, and, and we didn't always succeed, of course, but, but, uh, but we tried to live conservatively. And so uh, we could live on her salary because she also had insurance, health insurance, which is a, a thing for Americans, you know. And... Um, uh, we lived off her salary, and then I took a risk and, and uh, became a programmer and uh, wrote games and and uh, changed my life. Well, yeah, no, it sounds like, you know, at the time you, you were thinking, you know, as you mentioned, should we stay being a teacher or should I take a risk and, you know, just go into this industry? And at the time, you don't know if it's the right decision, but I believe it turned out to be the correct decision. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so well, we're we're all well, so, grateful that you made that decision. I think so far so good. <laughs> and uh, well, as, as I said, I think we're all happy that you did take that risk, because you know, well, God knows what would have happened then. <laughs> um, so then, when you were selling these games with your company that you'd founded in uh, your kitchen table, you said, uh, first of all, what? Don't know if you mentioned this already. What type of games were you making first? Well, we had a. A son who was uh, four or five years old at that time, um, and he and I liked to play adventure games on the computer. Uh, and the first games that we bought, literally, when we bought the computer, we bought a, a Sierra game, and um, uh, it was something that he and I could do together. He couldn't read uh, yet, so I would read the screens to him. Uh, but then he had valid ideas. I, he, I would say, what do you think we should do next? And and a lot of times he would come up with something and we'd try that and it would work. So it was fun experience for us to play adventure games together. So when I thought of writing a game, uh, an educational game, I, I, my goal was to write educational games because that was my field. Um, I, I thought, well, I, I'll write a game like uh, what uh, uh, he and I play, except I'll um, I'll make it uh, educational and um, write it at a certain grade level and and um, control the vocabulary and control the difficulty, uh, make it a simplified game, and that's that's what we did. Cool. And which game? What did did you buy? That was was it King's Quest? Oh no! This was years before. Before, Keith. okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I can remember vividly the first day I saw <laughs> King's Quest. It was about a year before it was released, and uh, and I, my mouth literally dropped open. I just I saw it. I went, "Oh my god, this is the future." Um, no, this was uh, back in uh, oh god, it would have been 1980, I guess. Uh, Wizard and the Princess. And another game called Cranston Manor. Uh, those were both adventure games that uh, Sierra, back then they were called online systems, but Sierra published uh, uh, using their uh, AGI uh, 
adventure game interpreter. Okay, yeah, but I'm excuse the ignorance because uh, that's okay. It was a long time ago. Yeah, sure. And as I said, I didn't play the Sierra games a little bit later. So you know, for me, my first Sierra game, no, actually it was Gabriel Knight, but then with the collections, it was King's Quest. So still in my mind, the first Sierra game is King's Quest. But of course. There are plenty of other games before that, so. Well, um, but feel free to correct people, me when I'm wrong. <laughs> most people don't know this, but the um, uh, but at one point Sierra had the number one word processor for computers. Oh wow! Yeah, it also had the number one database management program. It also had the number one assembler uh that you know that was used to write assembly language programs it had all these things back in the early days uh before it focused on just writing games and just uh, you know doing uh, at, well mostly adventure games right yeah it sounds like they could have competed with nasa and ibm (laughs) 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 um yeah that's great so you then got the attention of ken williams and so then he hired you then uh, i imagine and then i was going through uh again the games that you made on your website and I see that you started off i believe making kids games before you started working on leaders with larry is that correct Oh, yeah, for five years before. Um, When I started, uh, uh, Ken hired me to be a game designer and uh, also to translate um, the games that I was doing to other uh, computer systems because at the time, uh, you know, there there were many different um, uh, operating systems and computers that, that you had to support. And so uh, you would have to do a version for the Apple II, and then you would do a version for the Commodore 64, and then you'd do a version for the PC, and a version for the Atari, and another for the Atari uh, ST, and another one for... Yeah, it just went on and on. And so um, I was doing... uh, I was hired to do game design, um, and that was the first time that uh, Sierra was on a big growth spurt. I think I was employee number 20. Um, And by six months, maybe eight months later, uh, Sierra had 120 employees. So it it was rapid, (laughs) rapid growth. But the problem was that was the Christmas that uh, Sierra, uh, I'm sorry, that was the Christmas that um, Atari released the uh, game E.T., for the Atari 2600. Oh. <laughs> and every kid in the United States and everywhere else bought a copy of, or wanted a copy of E.T. for for Christmas. Um, and so all the games that all the other companies produced didn't sell well. Um, Sierra had spent a ton of money producing these games and, um, uh, and, and they didn't sell. So the games all came back in returns. And at that point, uh, uh, games could be returned for full credit by uh, the retailers. So come after Christmas, uh, they took inventory. They had all these games. They said, well, let's send these back. And so around February and March, uh, they had to, uh, um, they got all these games back and, and they had realized, oh, we're not going to get paid for all those alleged sales that we had before Christmas. Um, and the company was in severe financial trouble. They, um, there was one Friday morning when 
Uh, Sierra had 120 employees, and by that afternoon, they had 40. It was wow. A, it was a tough day. Ken called all the programmers and designers and like me and, and the other guys in and said, um, uh, gave us basically all the same deal. He told me, uh, if you, uh, uh, if I keep you on staff, I have to, uh, uh, write you down on the books as an expense. Your salary is an expense. And I have to show that as uh, uh, outgoing capital. But if I will pay you uh, advance against future royalties, then suddenly you become a prepaid asset and you move from the expense side of the books to the uh, asset side of the books. And I said, but it's the same amount of money. And he said, yeah. I said, well, that didn't make any sense. He said, I know, but that's the way the accounting uh, works here, and I, uh, you know, in this country. And I said, really? Okay. Well, let's talk about how many advances I'm going to get. You know, my uh, my salary was this much money at the time, about what I was making as a teacher, by the way. And mm -hmm. um, uh, and I said, well, what kind of advances could I get? Well, you get this much for this game and this much. I said, well, what about translating this game to the other machine? Oh, yeah, I'll pay you for that, too. Well, what about that? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you for that, too. And by the time I was done, I, I added it up, and I was going to be making twice as much money as I had made in salary. So I said, you're, you're going to pay me twice as much money and it's going to show up on the books as an asset. Whereas if you would have paid me half as much, it would have been an expense. And he said, <laughs> okay, you got it. And I said, well, okay. And you know, I was a teacher. I didn't know anything about, uh, about business and stuff. So I said, well, have I just been fired? And he said, yep. And I said, great. Well, that sounds great. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, um, and I went home and I worked my ass off and I, I, I produced three games in a matter of months. And, um, uh, you know, came back and ended up making, you know, more money than I had before. Unlike a lot of the other guys that he laid off who went home and I don't know, uh, watch soap operas and smoke dope, or I don't know what they did, but, <laughs> but, but didn't come back with product. So that was the start of the new Sierra, you know, and we built the company back up from, uh, from that low point um, into uh, the, the company that it was. Well, that's actually one of the funny things that I've heard. Basically, you're saying it's being, you know, quote unquote, fired, but you ended up making twice as much as you would have made as a teacher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was weird. <laughs> Probably a pretty good deal that you got all, you know, things considered. <laughs> well, and plus, you got to remember, he was paying me advances against future royalties. Right, <laughs> and the advances. Uh, and off, often were uh, uh, not enough to cover all the royalties they owed. So besides getting the advances, I then got royalties on top of all that, and those royalties uh, lasted for years. I, I ended up making money for many years off those games. 
No, I, I, again, you know, another good decision on your end or the way things worked out for you. That, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I could I could have gone home and just kind of wasted my time or read mm -hmm. books or something, you know. But instead, I what I found was because I was working for myself instead of a salaried employee, it wasn't, oh, I'll punch in at 9 a.m. and I'll punch out at 5. It was... As soon as I woke up, I sat down at the computer and grunted away, and I did that till the kids came home from school, and then I'd eat dinner with them, and we'd put them to bed, and then I'd work until two or three in the morning, and uh, and then do it again the next day, seven days a week. So you can be very productive if you just you know work your ass off, uh, which is uh, which is what I did, <laughs> you know, and as opposed to ah, I'll take it easy today. I don't have to do anything. Nobody's watching. Right, no, but in your case, you had to work. So you work seven days a week. Uh, I I often worked seven days a week. On the other hand, there were times when, oh, my daughter had a dance recital or something, and I, you know, I would I would take off during the day and go see it. But uh, uh, but yeah, I I put in a lot of hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think we can we can see with the games that eventually uh, came out, but. Um, But wow, so that, that well, that I didn't know that anecdote, and that's a very, very interesting <laughs> anecdote. That's you know, I don't know if, I, if if I tried that, I don't think it would work half as well. If you, you want to be fired, but you still want to get paid double the salary, nope, not going to happen. Well, you know, <laughs> part of it. Think about it. Part of it was the company was in dire straits. The company right. had no money. They wanted to produce product, but they had no no way of paying anybody to do it. All, all their funds had been sucked up by these, uh, you know, the previous generation of games. Um, and, and so they were desperate. They, they tried to work something out where uh, um, it wouldn't cost them money up front. And it turned out to be good in the long run. Now, if the games had sucked, mm. that would have, you know, they would have lost money and I would have gotten no more than just the advances. So there's that. And, and was this pre-King's Quest and uh, Space Quest and those series? Yes, by far. Yes, okay. Many years. Okay, okay, right. Yeah, just just so, just so I can see, you know, okay, what 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 period this is. Um, well, okay, and then you mentioned as well that uh, when ET came out, that everyone bought that game instead of the Sierra games, but also as you know, a lot of people know now, ET turned out to be. Possibly the worst game in history. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did, did, that nearly took down the gaming industry at the time as a whole. Did did that have an effect as well? Did people then think that oh, this game is terrible? Video games are no good or terrible as well. Did that have a knock-on effect as well on Sierra, or did it have no effect? It, it had a um, chilling effect on the industry. It it, um, uh, it and for years thereafter. Um, licensed products were verbatim. I mean, it was just uh, uh, um, uh, the curse of death. Uh, I remember when somebody w wanted to release a Barbie game and, uh, and all the game reviewers, the magazines and everything said, oh, I'm not gonna buy that's you know that'll be terrible. No no licensed title is any good. Right. 
now, now all there is is licensed titles. <laughs> and a lot of them still aren't very good. Although I think they're well, probably gotten better. <laughs> so not much has changed. There you go. Not much, not much has changed in the last 30 odd years. But although I think some of them have gotten a bit better. Yeah. But uh, yeah. in the meantime. But yeah, at least up until about what, 10 years ago, it was saying, oh, it's a licensed game. It's going to suck. But I think since then, companies have realized, okay, no, we have better actually make sure that these games are good because now the name alone won't automatically sell the game. So, um, But speaking of licensed games, again, going through your discography, well, uh, games that you made, (laughs) uh, I saw that you made, was it some Disney games that that you were involved with? Well, for that year that we're talking about there, uh, that period, I was Walt Disney Software. I wrote oh, okay. Winnie the Pooh in the Hundred Acre Woods and uh, uh, Donald Duck's Playground. And um, I did music for uh, one of Roberta's games, uh, Mickey's Space Adventure. Um, we did a lot of Disney titles, and I was involved in most of them. So uh, it, it was uh, 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 odd, uh, period. But it, the, it all that all came about, well, this is another interesting story. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> because uh, Ken uh, knew somebody who worked at Texas Instruments. And as you remember, I'm sure, 40 years ago, Texas Instruments said, hey, we make chips. We should make a computer. Why don't we make a computer and sell it to homes? And so they made the TI-99, which you kids can go Google now and look at. Um, and um, the, the TI-99 was, uh, they, Texas Instruments said, I think the future of home computers is how many licenses you can buy up and who you get to endorse your product. So they hired the world's uh, most favorite comedian, and uh, father of America, America's dad, uh, to be their spokesman for uh, their computer line and paid him millions of dollars to do so. You know, of course, who I'm talking about. I'm not sure. Keep in mind, I'm from Ireland. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which, We've heard of him in Ireland as well. An ironic choice today, but back then <laughs> it was... I, I uh, was going to mention, but you yeah. know, back then people didn't know. And they spent a lot of money licensing all the Mattel products and Barbie and uh, Disney and everything. And they said, all oh, these are going to run exclusively only on Texas Instrument computers. Uh, nobody, nowhere else. So you've got to buy a Texas Instrument computer. Well, nobody bought one. They were pretty expensive, and they didn't do a lot. And and so somewhere around uh, Christmas of 1982, Texas Instruments said, we quit. We give up. Uh, we don't know what we're doing. Uh, we're going to get out of the computer business. And uh, Ken heard this and knew somebody at TI and called him up and said, Hey, what are you doing with all those licenses that you wasted money on? And he said, well, I don't know. And he ended up buying the rights to the Disney characters from Texas Instruments for a song. So then suddenly we owned the rights to Disney characters in uh, home computer software. And at the time, Disney didn't even know what we were talking about. <laughs> they Somebody in the legal department 
took the money and ran. And, um, uh, and so they said, well, maybe somebody should uh, figure out what this home computer stuff is they're talking about. Uh, they had seen video games in the arcades and stuff. That was popular at that point. But nobody had a home, nobody there, nobody they knew of had a home computer. So, or, or any kind of, <laughs> or a work computer for that matter. So uh, they um, uh, 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 pretty much gave us carte blanche to do what we wanted to do with uh, uh, the Disney characters. And so uh, uh, I, I was making adventure games for kids. So I thought, well, Winnie the Pooh, that would be perfect. So I ended up making um, uh, Winnie the Pooh game. Um, I bought all the Winnie the Pooh books and read them all and took notes and and uh, created a um, game that I thought was in keeping with the spirit of A.A. A. Milne. Um, and uh, didn't really show it to anybody at Disney because they didn't have anybody who knew anything about computers. Uh, eventually, they got some women who had been working in educational film strips and workbooks um, and uh, uh, educational movies, stuff like that. And they said, oh, that's pretty close to computers. Why don't you girls be in charge of of uh, these computer things? We don't know what they're doing. And that's what we did. So, so uh, uh, it was pretty much uh, uh, the um, uh, we were the knowledgeable experts, and they kind of went along with what we said, and uh, and so we produced these games pretty much without any uh, direction from Disney, which of course is far different than today. You know, well, that's, uh, not the way I, it is now. No, I was going to mention that, wow, that you, you struck gold there. <laughs> because, I mean, so theoretically, you could have had Leisure Suit Larry meets Disney if Leisure Suit Larry was <laughs> having created at the time. That, that's a when game I really have to play. <laughs> when we got the Disney characters' uh, rights, um, uh, the first thing Disney did was look at our catalog. Back then, we published a paper catalog every six months or so. And um, in there was a game that would, had been a huge seller uh, called Soft Porn. It was the only game Sierra ever made that didn't have graphics. It was a text-only adventure game. And it was pretty childish and immature and uh, uh, crude. But um, they didn't like the title. They said, you know, uh, we can't have Mickey and, and Donald be in the same catalog as something called Soft Porn. So Ken said, ah, you know, soft porn's run its course. It's been out a couple of years. It was a huge seller, but uh, we'll take it out. We'll, we'll drop it. So they dropped soft porn, and, and then we had Disney games instead, uh, you know, along with our other stuff at the time. Um, but when we realized that we were making games that said Disney on them, and Disney was making all the money, and we were getting nothing out of them, to speak mm -hmm. of, uh, I was like, well, wait, well, these games don't sell any better than the games we make where we get to keep all the money. So we dropped the rights to the Disney characters and said, uh, well, we'll just make our own games from then on. And that's when we started Space Quest and King's Quest and Larry and Police Quest and all those other, uh, you know, uh, all the other games that uh, uh, were became 
huge hits for Sierra. So it was actually soft porn got out of the catalog at the same time that Disney came in. But when Disney left the catalog, when we said, oh, let's quit it and we'll just do something else instead, uh, I was casting about, I just finished Donald Duck's Playground. And I said to Ken, what, what do you think I should do next? And he said, well, you know, that soft porn game was a big hit back in, in 1981. Why don't you take a look at that? Went, okay. So I went home and uh, played the game and, and I went back to him and we had a meeting with some other staff and I said, oh shit, Ken, this game is so out of, out of touch. It should be wearing a leisure suit. And I got a laugh. Uh, and I said, the only way I could do anything with it is if you'd let me make fun of it. In other words, let me mock this guy who's so out of it that he thinks it's 1979 and, and disco is still king. So uh, he said, oh, so like a fish out of water thing for, uh, you know, a guy who, who thinks he's hip and isn't. And I said, yeah, yeah. And then he said, all right, can you make it funny? And I said, oh, no, I'll try. <laughs> and uh, I didn't exactly know how to make a game funny because there weren't really any funny games out back then. Uh, Steve Moretzky had done some humorous stuff with Leather Goddesses of Phobos. And... Um, there were, you know, a few games that had some humor in them, but there was no game that really tried to be funny first. Uh, and, uh, um, and I thought, well, that's what I should do. So I looked at it and I said, well, you know, the game is about a guy who's uh, trying to get laid. What if I made him old and, and uh, you know, kind of dumb? And um, uh, let's say he's 39 years old and a virgin and... Uh, uh, trying to lose his virginity. Well, you know, and then later, Steve Carell ripped me off and made the 39-year-old yes. virgin, or whatever, 40-year-old virgin. What was the name of that movie? Uh, the 40-year-old virgin. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> hey, I should get a royalty, Steve, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, I'm pretty sure that he probably played those games. So. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he did. Uh, there's a lot, if you look, uh, there's a lot of Larry references and influences in uh, 90s television, I think. If you, if you watch 90s TV and movies, you'll see a lot of, uh, a lot of Larry stuff. But anyway, that, that's uh, neither here nor there. Uh, uh, anyway, so that was the, the gist of Larry, was that... Uh, uh, I, I took the design that uh, Chuck Benton wrote back in 1980, I guess, and um, uh, threw out all the dialogue, threw out all the descriptions, text, and and uh, there were no graphics. Uh, uh, so all I kept really were the puzzles and the and the um, geography of the game, um, and um, got an artist who to help me. Uh, Mark Crow did an amazing job, um, and he worked uh, on Space Quest 40 hours a week at Sierra, and then in the evenings and weekends, he would work on Larry, uh, and uh, he got the entire game done in four weeks of uh, evenings and weekends, um, and That's ended up... Pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, ended up... Uh, Turned out to be a, a good investment for him. Yeah, d definitely. You know, still working two hit games at the same time, and two games that turned out to be hits. 
Um, no, but that's again really, really interesting. The the origins. And then I wanted to ask you because, as we mentioned, you've been working on kids games, and then all of a sudden you go on to make this this adult game. Uh, what, what was that like? Did you feel like that the shackles were off? That you could then you know make this adult game, or were you, was your mind still thinking about kids games? You know when you're making the first age suit Larry, or or how you know what what were you thinking then? Was it difficult to transition from kids games to Larry? You know from Disney to Larry, shall we say? Well, uh, you remember I had made King's Quest three. I was the lead mm-hmm. programmer on that, and um, I had worked on uh, quite a few other titles before that. So right. it wasn't like I had only done uh, children's games. But I had been making other games. And so when I started with Larry, uh, my goal was to make a game that was geared for adults, but not that was dirty. Um, I, I looked at uh, television and movies and books and magazines and stuff at that period. And um, I, I, I just said, well, these things... Uh, have a certain amount of sex influence in them, and nobody says a word about it. Why have there been no games that have been that way? And and so I thought, well, I'll just push the envelope a little bit. And uh, I, remember, my source material was um, I'm going to make a uh, uh, game about a guy who's trying to lose his virginity. So, I mean, I thought, well, that's sexy enough. So I didn't put any dirty words in. There were no four-letter words. There were no, um, uh, you know, really dirty stuff. But I put in, oh, like silly things, like in the bar when you sit down next to this guy who looks like Ken Williams, by the way. Uh, (laughs) uh, When you sit at the bar, uh, he doesn't tell you jokes he just tells you the punchline and i made the punchlines the dirtiest jokes that i knew (laughs) and i thought you know if somebody knows these jokes they will laugh their ass off at this and those that don't know that they're jokes well they'll never know what's going on you know it's just like (laughs) and so you know there he has i don't know 10 or more punchlines to the filthiest jokes I knew. <laughs> but he never told the jokes. <laughs> oh, I'll have to replay it now to see if I know some of the jokes. <laughs> well, and, and the good part now is that you can just Google the punchlines and right. you'll, find the, you'll find the jokes. You know, they're all online somewhere. So, Right. Uh, interesting. Yeah, no, I might have to do that. But, yeah. um, uh, but, but, but you mentioned, yeah, that it, it's true that you know, there were no four-letter words, and you insinuated more than you know showed from what I remember in the first Little Suit Larry game. Yeah, uh, there, how, was how, no, there was no no nudity, no uh, exactly. It was all innuendo, and uh, and you know, I it was about as dirty as uh, daytime television at that point. <laughs> it wasn't even uh, close to cable, or you know, even a nighttime you know, soap operas like Dallas or something. I, oh, maybe it might be like that, but, right. but it, it, it was certainly not um, uh, as remarkable as the box made it appear. Part of the, the genius of that game was that the box 
made you think, man, there's a lot of action in here. There's a lot of stuff going on. But there really wasn't. You know, it was pretty uh, pretty lame. Right. And so if, um, you know, Larry was pitched as a game, you know, from beginning nowadays, so in 2020 when we were recording, how, how different do you think it would be? Do you think it would be very different that you'd have to go all in and show everything and, you know, nudity and swear words? Or, you know, do you think that people could get away with just insinuating? Um, it, it's interesting because I'll answer that question by telling you that those games already exist. There uh, have been three Leisure Suit Larry games made right. since I made mine, and they have varying degrees of success and failure um, based on different models like that. The, um, the uh, first one was called Magna Cum Laude, and, uh, uh, which I always thought was some kind of double entendre because all my titles had some kind of hidden meaning to them or at least subtle meaning to them. And uh, I thought it was going to be, you know, people were saying, oh, Magna come louder or something. But no, <laughs> they just went with a straight stupid phrase. It was like, man, you could have you could have made a joke here. But anyway, uh, Magna come louder was uh, it believed that the secret to Larry's success was bigger tits. Mm. And, and and more nudity and uh, more profanity. And I never thought that. I always thought the secret was humor. So that you know that was a that was one approach. Then box office bust came out. Um, and those guys thought the secret would be to um, re- do a really bad implementation of a sandbox game like um, Grand Theft Auto, because that was hot at the time, do Grand Theft Auto, implement it terribly, and put in girls with big boobs. Mm. And that didn't work. In fact, it many uh, websites and magazines called it the worst game of the year. And uh, I remember. I, yeah, it was, it was poor. So then I... I, uh, about a year ago, two years ago, uh, a game came out called Wet Dreams Won't Dry, uh, <laughs> which I guess is a funny title if you happen to know the other game, the video game that's you know they're playing off of. Um, uh, and uh, they went back to an approach of Larry's a fish out of water. He's a guy, they, their approach was, he's a guy from the 80s who thinks he's in the 70s, who's really in the uh, teens, and uh, all these current things are happening. And I think that approach was much more successful. It, it, uh, it sold better, and it uh, got better reviews, and it seemed like more fun to play. So, um uh, that, that's that. Those are your three examples you have right there of, of how to change it and what worked and what didn't. Now that said, my belief is that the reason Larry was uh, successful back then was because it was of its time. And uh, if you do the game now, you should do a game that's of this time, not uh, of the '80s or a guy who's stuck in the '70s. Yeah, rather to do uh, something that's current and just, you know, create something new is what I'm trying to say. 
So uh, uh, we, I, I was involved with a re-release of Larry One about, I don't know, six years ago, maybe more. I can't remember. But uh, it was called uh, Leisure Suit Larry Reloaded. And that it was the uh, first game, but it was brought up to date with modern graphics, modern animation, and um, uh, a bigger, uh, 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 higher resolution and better music and better everything. Um, plus a lot more jokes. We put in a lot more humor and a lot. And uh, what we found was that the it, it came out on phones and on tablets and, and on computers. What we found was that uh, while the game was new and it was on the top 10 list uh, at the Apple Store, um, uh, it did fine. But as soon as it slipped below that, there were so many other products that were vying for attention that uh, we had real trouble making uh, a, a profit on. And I think it says that, uh, you know, maybe that those types of games are um, uh, passe now and uh, it's time to move on to something else. So there you have it. <laughs> great, great answer. <laughs> Better than I could have answered. <laughs> but uh, no, also it's true that there is a lot more competition now. And as you mentioned, it's even for a lot, for every, with every developer now, it's so hard to make your game stand out, you know, whoever you are. That's what most adventure game developer or every adventure game developer tells me now that on, on Steam alone, there's like hundreds of new games coming out every week now, that it's very, very difficult to make your game stand out. So I suppose that might have been one of the issues compared to when Larry first came out. There weren't as many video games back then. You have to remember, uh, when Larry came out, people would go to the store and say, is there anything new? <laughs> and the clerk would say, well, we got in this game over here. That's, that's how few games were coming out. And so uh, our man method of selling back then was we would um, uh, send the store clerks uh, in all the various software retailers around the country. We would send the clerks different promotions and and products and, and stuff in, in re hopeful that they would uh, push our games uh, out the door to people uh, I, I, you know that is so antiquated now i mean there, first of all there are no software stores anymore <laughs> and, and second there are no clerks <laughs> so so uh and third you know a new game doesn't come out every every week or so now a game comes out every hour more than mm -hmm. that i mean more than a one an hour so yes it's a it's a totally different marketplace and uh, and a much more difficult uh, process. Right. Uh, yeah, but it, as you mentioned, that's just for everybody. But no, I don't. That wouldn't happen now because, as you mentioned, new games coming out every hour. You know, j just on Steam alone, and then talking about you know on GOG on Epic Games, and then everything else as well on mobile, which is a huge market all by itself. Yeah. So. Um, and then I wanted to ask you as well, because the, now you mentioned that uh, especially the first Leaves of Larry game, that it insinuated more than anything else. Uh, and you mentioned that on TV there were, you know, it was more, you know, shall I say maybe graphic maybe as well. But what 
were you at all, or was Ken Williams or anyone at all concerned about a possible reception from some people that you know might still have considered games to be for kids, and then all of a sudden there's this game where your objective is to get laid? Uh, were, were you considered, or were you concerned at all, or thinking about a possible you know reaction from people? to no. that aspect of the game. No, you weren't concerned at all, no? <laughs> not really. <laughs> I mean, you know, there were kids who bought video games, you know, mm. Atari games. Uh, but remember, that market had been crushed, and it was it was down for years. There were no consoles. I remember <laughs> at some point we saw the Nintendo... Uh, Famicom, it was called, uh, but it, it turned out to be the you know, first Nintendo console. Um, and we looked at some of the games on it, and we said, God, we've been burned before on these console things. We're not going to support that. Well, that was a big mistake. But at the time, that was the way people felt. It was like, yeah, no, computer games are for adults. Only adults uh, own computers, and not very many of those. I mean, it was a time when engineers own computers, when um, scientists own computers, but housewives didn't own computers. Um, <laughs> normal normal people didn't use computers then. Uh, all those, you know, are, <laughs> I, I think that one of the big reasons that adventure games were so successful in the 80s is because they were the perfect game for problem solvers. Adventure games are about problem solving and figuring things out based on limited knowledge. And at the time, in order to own a computer and use it, you had to be a problem solver. My God, I can't tell you how many autoexec.bat and config.sys files I kept around because every product I used, I had to uh, restart the machine and install a different config sys and auto exec bat. Uh, um, in fact, I had a batch file that used to. Uh, um, <laughs> I would I would type. Uh, uh, I think it was called reboot was the name of the batch file, and I would say reboot seventh guest or something. <laughs> and <laughs> and in in uh, the program would copy the um, existing autoexec and config.sys files to a subdirectory and then pull out those files for seventh guest, rename them and put them in the root directory and then restart the computer uh, with those settings so that I could make that game run. And I had to do that if I wanted to use some other kind of product too. Because I, I mean, I had just a ton of them. Uh, uh, I, I mean, like literally a dozen different configurations, all of which involve restarting the computer uh, in order to make them work. You, you got to remember, we're talking about a time that this is before there was a Photoshop. Right. <laughs> so you, you, remember, we made those games without Photoshop. And you tell that to people nowadays, and they go, what? How, how could there be computers without Photoshop? <laughs> That didn't exist back then. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. No, because, uh, you know, um, I you know, well, don't know if you know this, but 
Trevor Noah, the host of The Daily Show. I read his book, Born a Crime, and how he grew up in South Africa during or when apartheid was finishing. But he mentioned that he wanted to go home from school early to play Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> no. He Is did, yes. True? And that, it's true. I forget which page, but he, he did say one of the chapters that I struck me because I was like, wow, there's this now really famous comedian who's a host of the freaking Daily Show. And he mentioned in his book, now it's only a line, but he said he's talking about, you know, things that he was getting up to, you know, at school and afterwards and, you know, with girlfriends. And then he said that, oh, yeah, no, something like I went home early uh, because I wanted to, taking his words, he said that I played it with suit Larry. But then he said, yeah, I wanted to see naked ladies on the, in the game. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, Leisure Suit Larry has really traveled far. It's Travel to South Africa. Now, I, I believe it oh, uh, wasn't I, I exactly a legal copy. I, I have but... to interrupt and tell you. Go that, ahead. Uh, I have uh, uh, TiVo'd and watched every show that Trevor Noah has uh, uh, been on, The Daily Show. I've wa we've watched every episode of uh, his show, wow. so I'm a big fan of his. I've got a. I'll have to write a letter. I'll have to direct message him or something. I'll t tell him that you're the creator of Leisure Suit Larry. He probably knows. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm if I have the book, I'll send a photograph to you of the line. <laughs> oh, no, I believe you. I believe it's uh, because it really struck me because it kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> well, but, you know, um, it doesn't surprise me, though, because I've gotten one of the best little decisions that I ever made was when I put up my website. I wasn't quite sure what to do or how to do it or what it was going to be about, but I thought, should I include a link to send me an email? And um, and there was some at the thought. This was 1998, by the way, 22 years ago. Uh, that that uh, you maybe you don't want to get emails from people mm -hmm. uh, just in general, which of course is the feeling nowadays. But what I did was I put the link up and I said, if you write me, I'll write you back. And I have received hundreds of thousands of emails and I've written everybody back. Maybe not a lot, but, uh, <laughs> but I will always respond if somebody sends me a, uh, an email. Um, and I have gotten, consequently, uh, because I put that link up there, I have gotten emails from all over the world. I mean, from not only South Africa, but from uh, Iran and China and, and uh, India and just South America and everywhere you can think of. Siberia. I got one this week from Siberia um, uh, of people who uh, somehow got a copy of the game and and uh, enjoyed it and uh, you know just wrote to say that they liked it. So that's that's been really uh, 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 incredibly rewarding to me. Yes, I, I can imagine that this that your games have affected so many people around the world like that. And, and I put up, I also put up a link that said, uh, if you pirated my game and you feel guilty about that, buy me a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's fair enough. And uh, I put a PayPal link up. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many hundreds of people have sent me, bought me a cup of coffee <laughs> to make up for stealing my games back, back in the day. That's a great idea, but uh, no. But when I was speaking with the Coles, they um, they told me as well that they got messages from people, you know, from 
back then the Soviet Union that told them how much the Quest for Glory games helped them through those difficult times and how I believe some people, or one person at least, decided to work for I think, Doctors Without Borders because of those games. Wow. So it's, it's, it's really incredible that when you're making these games that you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to know the effect it will have on people. That's, um, in the uh, in the early well, I guess it would be in the early post Soviet Union period. So that would be like uh, the early '90s, I guess. Um, I I talked to a consultant who was doing work in Russia, and uh, he said that um, uh, of all the PCs that he ever uh, worked on in uh, Russia at that time. Uh, he never found one that didn't have a Larry directory. Wow. <laughs> he said it was just part of the standard operating system. You got DOS and you got uh, uh, a, a subdirectory for Larry. And uh, and he said, I, uh, I, I can't tell you how many people have written me saying, oh, I learned English because I wanted to find out what Larry was doing and uh, how it worked and, and all that stuff. So it was, it was fun to... Uh, uh, to think that his fame and influence has spread that way. Yeah, that's that really is incredible. And when you're making these games, and especially the first game, did you expect that, Larry, that the game would then be so popular around the world, or were you thinking mainly of an American audience? I, I thought specifically some Irish guy would call me in 40 <laughs> years. <laughs> Doing a podcast? <laughs> Yeah, I thought, boy, what if they invent something called a podcast? <laughs> no, not at all. Of course not. I mean, we, we um, you've got to understand, we, we created new titles so quickly back then that if a game didn't sell, you just said, oh, well, that was a loser. I'll go do something else. And you would create a different title. So there was never any thought of longevity. I mean, I remember vividly driving home from the office one day thinking, damn, I, you know, maybe I should put a theme song on this game. Um, and I thought, well, what kind of theme song would, would you have on a funny, sexy computer game? Well, at the time, every computer game came out with some kind of... Uh, uh, electro Euro dance, you know, kind of uh, mech soundtrack. Um, uh, and I thought, well, I don't want that. I don't want it to sound like every other game. It's got to sound stupid. It's got to sound kind of goofy. Well, on the radio, there was a story about Irving Berlin's 99th birthday. And they played some of Irving Berlin's music, and I thought, man, that's so different. That sounds that sounds old and funny. I'll I'll use that. So I sat down. I got home. I said, how long before dinner? And I think Margaret said, you know, half an hour or something. And um, and so I sat down and and wrote the Larry theme song, um, and got it programmed into the computer. And and she said, all right, time for dinner. I go, that's good enough. Nobody, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to ever remember this. You know, it's just throwaway. It's like Kleenex, you know, nobody. And here, now people write me 30 years later and tell me, uh, you know, that they, they still end up find themselves whistling that theme song um, that I kind of wrote as a throwaway before dinner one night. Yeah, no, I, I love the theme song as well. It's, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's very well, catchy. Plenty. 
You can blame it on Irving Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we can we can thank him then. <laughs> and and then you know, speaking of you know you know game selling, because I was very surprised to see on your website that you mentioned that the first Leisure Suit Larry game that it didn't sell very well. Is that correct at first? It was the worst selling game in the history of Sierra. Wow! <laughs> That's at a time, hard to at believe a time that. <laughs> new games released at fifty thousand copies. That was pretty successful. Larry came out and sold 4,000 copies the first month. Wow, that, I mean, that's incredible to believe you can say this then. It's, uh, you worked on, I believe, six games and then had three other sequels. And we've had famous people all around the world, including South Africa, <laughs> playing it. So. But you have to remember that the, um, the game was kind of sexy and it was mm-hmm. a little dirty. Uh, it was suggestive. And... Um, uh, at that point, a third of all of Sierra's uh, sales were through Radio Shack stores. They were huge, uh, a chain of computer stores that sold a lot of software. But because they didn't want to have problems with returns, they had a department at their headquarters that checked all the software to make sure it wasn't buggy and that it wouldn't be a problem for their store clerks. Well, they were run by a man who was a born-again Christian, and they were scared to death if they took Larry in to check it out even, that he would find out and they'd all get fired. So the third of our sales immediately were out because Radio Shack wouldn't touch Larry. It ended up being a blessing in disguise because in my case, I remember I was getting paid off of royalties. I didn't get mm-hmm. money uh, in advance and so uh, on that game. And so the um, uh, Radio Shack had a huge discount. They would um, uh, buy the games for all, because they were such big sellers. They bought in such quantity that they got a big discount. I got paid on the difference between what Sierra got for the game and what it cost them to make the game. So all the company's uh, uh, product cost the same. It was, you know, uh, 50 cents for the floppy disks and a quarter for the book and, and a quarter for the box maybe or something, you know, so like a dollar. But all that stuff got taken off uh, of what the the sale price was. Uh, when Radio Shack got a huge discount, that meant there was that much less difference, and so I got paid a royalty on the difference. <laughs> so uh, every copy that Radio Shack sold cost me money. Every copy that somebody else <laughs> sold made me more money. So by Radio Shack rejecting me and uh, not selling the game, People had to buy the game from other places where we would, I would get a better royalty rate. Isn't that weird? So, um, uh, <laughs> so it ended up being a blessing for me. I didn't think so at the time. I thought it was disaster. But what happened was we, we invented viral marketing. We just didn't know it. I mean, the, <laughs> there was never an advertisement for Larry. There was never any marketing or sales. It was all word of mouth, and the game got in the stores, people played it, and they told their friends about it, and they bought copies, or mostly pirated, um, 
and uh, uh, the the game actually um, uh, sold better and better every month after it came out. So so much so that a year after it was released, it was on the top ten sales list uh, as a rising star. It was you know it had a bullet. And I was signed with a bullet next to it because it was coming up in the marketplace, which I think is hilarious. But um, uh, yeah, that, that so the game actually uh, sold completely word of mouth, and that ended up working well for you, as you mentioned that. <laughs> you know, yeah, thanks to this guy who's a born again Christian. <laughs> every month, the game you know sales doubled, so it was it was great. Wow, so clearly people were enjoying the game and telling their friends, saying, oh, you got to check out this game. And so, well, so it's, it's, it's interesting as well, because now a lot of people think, uh, you know, with movies as well, you know, the box office weekend, and if it doesn't do well the first weekend, oh, it's a flop. But this just goes to show it's not just about the first weekend, the first week, but with word of mouth, it can build up and it can be successful over time. So, um, no, that's, that's great to hear. And then about... Larry himself, because I was listening to another podcast which spoke about Larry, the Classic Gamers Guild podcast, and they were discussing him as well. There was a very interesting comment that, I uh, can't remember their, their names, but it was a girl that mentioned that in the games, that it's not just about Larry trying to get laid, but that he tries to improve himself as a person and as a man to, you know, to get the attention and affections of, of the girl. Uh, was was this intentional your part? Do you agree with this uh, this comment as well that in the games that Larry tried to improve himself as a man, or you know, was this by accident? Or no, no, of course he you, he has to show growth, or or people would be of course yes bored with it. But um, my whole problem was that I I set up this guy as a loser. Uh, but then in order to feel successful at the end of the game, you wanted to at least have him succeed at, at, at least once. So then my problem was, well, wait, well, how would I make a female character in the game uh, want to have sex with this loser? And that was always the hard part, was to figure out, wait, why? Wait, what? what? How am I going to do this? So, so that became an endless puzzle for me. That was part of my um, problem of game design was uh, with that. To finish off then, you're, um, you, you spoke about your site, um, the CyberJoke 3000. Um, well, how I, did that... I started a website called alvo.com. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you can type six letters, you can find it. <laughs> uh, A-L-L-O-W-E. And um, it, it's it basically, you know, actually, if you've listened to this podcast this long, you should go to the website. And you know, there's lots more stories there. Lots of things about Sierra in the old days, uh, inside stories about the games and, and how we produce them. And also a lot of stuff that you can uh, download and just browse and uh, goof around with. Um, uh, for example, I've got a list of the 32 titles that we didn't select for uh, Leisure Suit Larry Seven. I actually Ooh. had I actually had a list of 32 titles <laughs> <laughs> that were all rejected. <laughs> yeah, well, I just I rejected them. I just thought that Love for Sale was was better. 
but you know, like one of them, uh, you know, I was trying to do uh, ship themes. One of them was like uh, Leisure Suit Larry uh, uh, hoists his dinghy full of semen. S E A. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a play on words and you know, yeah, double yeah. entendre. So. And, 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 and so there's just crazy stuff like hundreds of pages of uh, uh, of stuff like that, plus a lot of humor. Um, uh, I've for the past twenty years, I have sent out uh, two jokes every weekday morning. One of them is clean. <laughs> which i've just discovered but uh, as i said i've been uh, that's how i first discovered you was through the, your website yeah. and i've been a subscriber for nearly 10 years now every morning at least here in ireland we get uh those two jokes and it really helps to brighten up my day <laughs> you know oh, I'm, I'm Re- really because uh, i wake up and i think i have to go to work and oh look i get to email al jokes cyber joke or allo's uh, cyber joke 3000 tm <laughs> And uh, then I I always laugh, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, people can find you know visual gags, uh, jokes as well that are you know apart from the games as well. More information about the games as well. Well, on- I I also have a database on there that you can search, like do a a typical Google search, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, find a joke for a specific occasion. Um, type in whatever terms you want, and uh, I have over eight thousand jokes in the database Uh, so you can uh, 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 hopefully find something if you need a joke for a speech or for something else there's a (laughs) that's a good thing so and and then give you credit (laughs) or or pay pay you coffee (laughs) no you don't have to give me credit (laughs) you can just laugh well, I could spend hours talking with you, Al, but I'd better let you go. Um, so, thank you so much for you know speaking with me. It's uh, you do you you are uh, you know you are very honest when you say you get back to people who email you. At least you got back to me. I'm not sure if you regret it now, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but is there anything else that you'd like to say to people listening or fans of uh, your games before we go? You know, I think. Um... Uh, I, I would like to express my thanks because uh, by doing something that I love doing, um, it turned out that that uh, we made a lot of people, we entertained a lot of people, and I've really enjoyed over the years uh, hearing responses from people, and and, and now and now I know about Trevor Noah. Yeah, so I think that's that's been. Got to write to him to the Daily Show. (laughs) That's been that's been exciting for me, and uh, uh, I appreciate it. So Um, thank to all of you for uh, uh, for giving me a good retirement. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for you know for the laughs as well. You know, I could I can safely say on behalf of the players and uh, subscribers to your cyber joke, it really has helped us a lot. So (laughs) well, good. Um, Okay, well, thank you very much. Have a good day. So that was my interview with Al Lowe. A huge, huge thank you to Al Lowe for agreeing to speak to me. I had an absolutely wonderful time speaking with him. And I hope he did too, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. And so that is it for this week. Next week, I'll be joined, as always, by Thomas and Laura, as we will be talking about the latest adventure games that we've been playing, and we talk about the latest adventure game news that's been happening. So until then, have a great day and a great weekend, everyone. Take care.
So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you